This is Factual America. I'm your host, Matthew Sherwood. Each week I watch a hit documentary and then talk with the filmmakers and their subjects. Carlos reveals the man behind the rock legend, Carlos Santana. Beyond all the Grammys and other accolades is a seeker who is rooted to his music and family. Or to paraphrase Carlos's own words, the documentary is a story of triumph, confidence, and vitality, and represents a collective consciousness that there are no borders or flags that can contain one's passion, a story of heart. Emmy-winning producer and director Rudy Valdez joins us to talk about creating a film that feels just like hanging out with Carlos Santana, as one of Carlos's friends put it. We even managed to discuss that old nugget, the golden age of documentaries. You won't want to miss this. Stay tuned. Rudy Valdez, welcome to Factual America. How are things with you? Things are well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on. To remind our listeners and viewers, we will be talking to you about uh, Carlos, a documentary feature that's uh, premiered at Tribeca earlier this year. It's had a theatrical release, and I gather it's not streaming yet. Is that correct? It is not. Not yet. But soon, I imagine. I hope. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, welcome again, and congratulations on um, on getting this great doc uh, done. And uh, you must be quite happy with the reception it's had so far. Yeah, I mean, I'm very proud of the film. You know, I think that uh, we set out to do something, and I think we accomplished it. Which, to me, at the end of the film, when you when you sort of are able to start from nothing and then have this vision for something and hope that it works, and then you sort of watch it for that final time without being able to take notes or change anything and be like, okay, this is, yeah. this is what we wanted to do. Yeah. Well, before we talk about what you wanted to achieve and how you achieved it, uh, seems like a stupid question to ask, but what is Carlos all about? Uh, maybe give us, there, I mean, it's, it's more than just Carlos Santana, I think, but just maybe give us a synopsis for those who, well, for most of our audience who will not have seen it. Well, first I'll say, you know, uh, as a former elementary school teacher, there are no stupid questions. We, <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, no, it's, uh, you know, the film was about Carlos Santana and, you know, it, it, uh, it sets out to try and tell you sort of a well-rounded version of, of who he is. You know, we call it Carlos because I didn't want to just do this recap of the band Santana. I sort of wanted you to mm. see the life and times of Carlos, you know, the young man from Outland who moved to, to Tijuana and eventually to San Francisco and then, you know, became this global icon in a way, and I wanted you to be very grounded in who he is as a human being, as well as a a musician. Yeah, and I guess um, Carlos leaves a little bit of a doubt. If you'd called it Santana, I think everybody immediately knows what it's, uh, but uh, I mean, it it feels odd for me to ask this as well, because I'm of a certain age, so, but there will be people in the audience who may not be absolutely or not fans who don't know uh, that much about Carlos I mean he had this he's had and still has this absolutely incredible amazing career hasn't he yeah it's it's fascinating and I think you know as you're saying there are people of a certain age who who know him from uh, from Woodstock but then there's this whole other uh, group of people who know him from supernatural right and then there's you know there are people who who can dive into his his career at any time over the past 50 years and be like, Oh, who is this? Like, and, and maybe not even always realize that he's behind 
a lot of songs that you may not even know that he was a part of and soundtracks and, and you know, things like that. And so uh, it, it, it's fascinating because, you know, one of the questions and you'll probably ask this as well, like, why now? Like, you know, right. why, why tell the story now? And, and I think, you know, that's a great question because I feel like at any time, you know, post 1970, you could have been like, okay, let's tell the story uh, of this guy, Carlos Santana, because what a remarkable um, journey he's had. And you could, you could have stopped in the eighties and told that story. You could mm. have stopped in the nineties and told that story. You could have stopped, you know, in 2010 and told that story. And uh, as wonderful as that sounds like that was also a very daunting, <laughs> daunting thing, you know, as, as the years go on, you know, there's more to tell. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, well, I'm going to ask that que- follow-up question actually in a few minutes, but uh, um, you know, he is this incredible. You know, it's it's overused, but he's a visionary. He's a pioneer. He's, I mean, we even had uh, we had the uh, filmmaker behind the Wayne Shorter doc that actually dropped mm-hmm. almost the exact same time, and he collaborated with one of the greatest jazz musicians of all time. You know, it's it's yeah. this this incredible career, and as you say, how do you how do you put all fifty 50 years of that into uh into uh you know 90 minutes uh must be daunting but he's your film basically he's much more than a rock musician isn't he yeah 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 i think you know that that was one of the things that i you know early on when we had a a first cut and we were able to show it to um i kind of like to hold cuts very close uh Uh and and let my internal team really work on it because you know i feel like there there are different stages where even at the beginning of this, we're like, is this is what we're trying to do going to work and blah, blah, blah. And the first time we showed it to a couple of, of people that knew Carlos, mm-hmm. one of my favorite um, responses and the thing that made me feel like we're doing the right thing is, you know, obviously they had a bunch of really wonderful things to say, which are always great. But I think the best compliment was, you know what it felt like, Rudy? It felt like what it's like to just hang out with Carlos and hear his stories. <laughs> And I was like, that's what we're going for. Because, you know, I want you to feel like you're getting, you know, a peek behind the curtain because he's a phenomenal storyteller. He has an unbelievable memory and just this ability to conjure up stories from the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the Mm -hmm. 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, all within themselves. And I wanted you to to be able to hear that from him And, and, and and peek behind that curtain that, you know, of course he's a great musician and we'll, we'll have the music, but I wanted you to, to know the person behind it. I, and I think that's a very good way of that, that person's described it. Cause I was trying to figure out what it felt like to me. And that's exactly what it felt like. It felt like I just spent 90 minutes hanging out with Carlos Santana. And that is so damn cool. You know, uh, for those of us who don't have that uh, ability or privilege to do that, uh, it's uh yeah you just kind of he's just having a conversation with us in through different yeah. ways right exactly and that was the hope from the beginning you know it's from the way we approached the filming of it from the way we approached uh sort of collaborating with him on it i i remember the first time we showed up at his offices they were like yeah you and your team can park up front and they had reserved like four or five parking spots and you know I came in one car with like my producer and a sound person and they were like, where's your team? And I was like, I am the team. Right, <laughs> they were right. like, what? But I wanted it to feel very, and I think Carlos may have at the beginning been like, is, is this a real, <laughs> is this a real <laughs> exactly. thing? <laughs> exactly. 
but uh, I wanted it to be intimate. I wanted him to, you know, forget at times that I'm holding a camera and just talk. Yeah. And what did you, I mean, what did you discover about him in making this film? You know, and what, su- you know, what surprised you most? What's interesting is when we started this, this uh, project, uh, it was just before the pandemic. He was getting ready to go on tour with Earth, Wind & Fire. And the original uh, intro to it was going to be, you know, I was going to meet him on a couple dates uh, on the tour and we were going to talk and I was going to film a little bit and we'd get to know each other that way. And then the pandemic hits and the lockdown happens and obviously the tour is canceled. Um, but we didn't want to prolong things. We didn't want to, you know, be like, okay, we'll come back to you after whatever this is, is over. Mm-hmm. We decided to start having phone conversations and Zooms. And uh, initially those were going to be things that we were like, we'll record these and we'll maybe use them in the film because it's going to be a lot of archive and, and all that. But very quickly they turned from, I, I think I even stopped recording them. They turned from, you know, trying to do these interviews to he and I just chatting and getting mm-hmm. to know each other. And, you know, he asked a lot about my life. I asked a lot about his life and we just sort of got to know each other. And I think um, for us, for this project, that was really, really special. Because by the time we were able to really start production and sit down with each other and I was able to walk into the camera, a lot of barriers have been, had been crossed at that point and, and we had a trust within each other. So, um, but one of the things, and the other thing I think that happened from those initial conversations, I realized immediately that he has such a grasp of his story and he's so entertaining in telling it that immediately I thought, I don't want to interview other people about what they thought Carlos was or is. I didn't want people trying to recollect. And in the back of my mind, I thought, if if people were truly on his trajectory, a part of his life, a part of his journey, we're going to find that in the archive. We're going to Mm. see those people like Bill Graham, like Clive Davis. You know, we're going to see all of those people. And so I wanted you to be in Carlos's voice throughout this. Mm. And And that's what I learned, yeah. And... Yes, I mean, I would, I think a joy in life would certainly would be to hang out with Carlos Santana. I mean, he is such an entertaining, <laughs> I mean, that must have been so much fun to do. But at the same time, I think what comes out as well, I mean, he's not just this, uh, you know, just this happy-go-lucky uh, rock musician. I mean, he's a perfectionist, isn't he? He's very disciplined. He's he's focused like a laser beam, which seems to come from his mother, I think, comes out in the in the film. Yeah, he's this wonderful mix of, you know, the things that you you hear about him, the sort of, uh, they, they say Cosmic Carlos, but this, right. you know, very, uh, uh, again, he, they call him far out, he calls himself far in, but his way mm. of thinking, his almost jazz way of thinking, mixed with, as you're saying, this laser-focused discipline to the music, and when those two things really collide for him, you know, that's where this music and this sound and the, mm. this amazing career comes from because he is able to think outside of the box as much as he wants to while still maintaining this forward motion of continuing to create. And it's it's fascinating every single day. I mean, one of the things that you, you see in the doc uh, that uh, in, the, in the documentary is there are times when he's playing the guitar and it's just like me and him in the room and I'm filming that. Yeah. But that wasn't ever me saying, okay, you come into this room and play the guitar and I'm going to film you. He's just, when he's, he's just picking up a guitar and he's doing it because that's what he loves to do. And a couple of those times I wasn't even in the room. He was just in the other room 
playing and I, I sort of slowly walk in <laughs> with the right, camera, right, right. But, but it wasn't a like, okay, now you rock out and I'm going to get this footage. It's just, he's always playing. He's always thinking of music. He's always listening to music. It's, it's such a part of him all the time. So I, yeah, it, I learned a lot about Carlos throughout this process and that discipline and that, 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 that constant love of music was one of those things. And does that make it challenging to make this doc? Cause he must be, because he is the, you know, because of who he is, he's going to be all over you if you're not doing, if you're not living up to a certain standard, aren't you? Isn't it? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that he, I think that he certainly had a lot of expectations about what this could and should be. Um, and I think that one of the things that I always tried to have a conversation with him about from the beginning, all the way till the end, all the way until we were premiering at Tribeca is, you know, that, that, that we're making this film and we're making it, for the right reasons in the right way. You know, I think very early on, he saw where my heart was in how I wanted to approach this film and how I wanted to tell his story. Mm -hmm. And I think as he continued to see not only the progression of this film and how I'm filming and the questions that I'm asking, I think he also saw some of my other films and and saw the process of which I make them and, and, and what I want to do with them. And I think that was always this other balancing thing of he had a, a certain amount of trust in me as we continue to go, which I am forever, forever grateful for, because I don't know that I could trust somebody to tell my story. You know, that's, that's a big yeah. ask. Uh, you know, that's a big, that's a big thing, especially for somebody like him who hasn't had a documentary made about him. Which and is remarkable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I mean, how did you become involved with this project? Was it your idea? <laughs> I wish. Yeah. Um, no, I. Uh, the funny thing is, I was doing a project with uh, Imagine Documentaries. I was doing mm. a series for Netflix, and that series was going pretty well. Uh, we were in production on it. It was going pretty well, and, and uh, Justin Wilkes and Sarah Bernstein came to me and said, "You know, what? What are you thinking about next? You know, we're really loving what you're doing here. Do you have any um, thoughts?" And you know, a couple weeks earlier, I had seen in Variety or Deadline or one of those two that Imagine had struck a deal with Carlos to do a documentary. And I remember thinking, oh, like who, who gets to make that? I was like, right, that's right, amazing. Right. Yeah. And uh, I was just like, I'd, I'd love to just be a part of that. But I didn't say anything. And it's not like I thought I deserved to do it, but I really just wanted to be on the team, you know, yeah. doing that. And so when they asked me what I wanted to do next, I actually pitched them a different music documentary. And they were like, a music documentary? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, okay. Uh, we'll get back to you. And then a couple weeks later, I get a call and they're like, can you go to Vegas? I was like, uh, sure. And next thing I know, we're on a plane to Vegas to go and meet Carlos. And uh, that's sort of how it happened. I met him and his team and we all seemed to be on the same page and we we're like, okay, let's, let's move forward. And I don't know, luck, <laughs> you know, I right, think luck right. is, the, is the short, short answer. Well, you're in the right place at the right time. You've yeah. got to make your own luck. But yes, yeah, I mean, that's... Uh... Yeah, yeah, I always try to, to balance those two things because I never want to uh, uh, speak lightly of the hard work, but I mm. also never want to uh, speak lightly of the luck. That, that, that is often, I think that, that they're sort of half and half here, you know, of, of the hard work and dedication, but also, like you said, just being at the right place in the right time well, and being even, ready. 
Yeah, I mean, it even comes out in your doc, right, with Carlos. I mean, he just happens to be climbing the pipes up to the Fillmore <laughs> right. with his, and right. gets in there, and there's cream, and he gets to jam with cream, right? <laughs> right. You know, and uh, the, the rest is history, practically, you know, so. Yeah, you know. yeah. Well, um, um, yeah. I think that takes us to a point to have a quick early break. Uh, so we'll be right back with uh, Rudy Valdez, uh, producer and director of Carlos. It's on uh, theatrical release, and we'll be streaming somewhere soon, we certainly hope. You're listening to Factual America. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or X to keep up to date with new releases or upcoming shows. Check out the show notes to learn more about the program, our guests, and the team behind the production. Now back to Factual America. Welcome back to Factual America. I'm here with Rudy Valdez, the Emmy Award-winning producer and director of Carlos, premiered at Tribeca. It's on theatrical release, certainly in the U.S. Is it on theatrical release anywhere else? Uh, it was, uh, so they did a special global event with okay. it, so it was all over. I think now it's just in the U.S. Okay, just, but I it think. will be, yeah, don't don't hold us to that, but <laughs> uh, but we know this definitely will be streaming somewhere soon, so be on the lookout for it. Um, so we were talking about making a, 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 a documentary about and with um, um, Carlos Santana. I mean, you've kind of already talked about it, but, uh, you know, how do you structure a film about someone who doesn't believe in limits and is always pushing ba- boundaries and, you know, and you want to tell that story in the same spirit? I mean, you already said you wanted it to be this conversation to so people get to know... Um, got to know Carlos but uh you know that's uh it's 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 it is quite daunting isn't it to try to live up to his artistic vision yeah i mean to be honest uh i was obviously unbelievably thrilled to to be able to do this film to be asked to do this film and to come on but i, I remember shortly after everything was like okay we're a go i was like oh crap like the only thing, the only thing that I can do here is mess this up. I mean, you know, because he's got such a, a wonderful career and story. It's like, all I can do is not do it justice. So I, I really, you know, I worked very hard on, on figuring out how we were going to approach this in a way that did justice to his story and his journey. And, you know, I, I approach it the way I approach every other film and I try not to come on and be an expert, especially at the beginning. Mm. I don't come on and try to say, this is how I'm going to tell your story. This is what it is. And this is the only way that it works. I really try to, you know, cover my bases at the beginning and, and understand that we're gathering footage and, and figuring out what this is. But I kind of, as, as you know, I don't know, artsy fartsy as it sounds like, I right. try to listen. I try to figure mm. out what the, what the story wants to be. And uh, I think at the beginning, hearing Carlos tell his stories was that first little uh, signal to me that I, I want this to be in his voice. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, after a while, I was able to go and look through his archive. And, I, yeah. you know, he has tons of archive, tons of archive. Yeah. And we were looking through and it was like, you know, that documentary gold moment where you're looking through boxes and, and I picked up this box and I remember thinking it's a little heavier than, because there was nothing really in it. I was like, a little heavier than it feels. And I noticed that it was actually a box inside of a box. And I pulled out the sort of inner box and looked underneath and there were like eight unmarked tapes. And it was like that scene in Pulp Fiction, you know, they open it up and it's like gold, you know, coming. I was like, okay, okay, there are tapes here. They're not marked. They, like one of them had like 
one of them said like family and i was like all right i can't i have to i have to and i picked them up you know very gently and we had a little deck that was there that we could look at different sorts of tapes and i put one in and i started watching and it was just this wall and i was like oh great like i'm gonna watch 55 (laughs) minutes of somebody uh, you know literally paint dry like literally (laughs) and i was like but i'm gonna i'm gonna see this through i'm gonna see what this is and uh and then all of a sudden Carlos walks in front of the camera and he straps on a guitar and he starts playing and there's nobody in the room. There's nobody doing like around. He's just playing for himself. And I start hearing the music that he's playing. And I said, okay, this is going to be in Carlos's voice. It's going to be in Carlos's hands. These tapes, if this is what I think they are, Mm -hmm. these are going to be the score. These are going to be the bed Mm. that we're living in throughout this. So, those things just as as you progress throughout the process of of searching and investigating to me become the little bedrocks that we start to lay the foundation with and uh it it luckily worked out you know i think early on when i when i said i didn't want to interview other people producers were like well let's <laughs> let's put a pin in that <laughs> you know right you know right. so i wanted to go as far as i could and, and see if i could make that happen I mean, what what was he? Because there's that shows up throughout the the doc where he just kind of randomly walks into a room, straps a guitar, and starts playing. Was he just always had cameras running? Wait, and he would just when he happened to pick up the guitar, so he'd capture it. Is that yeah? It, it was it was all him. Like he'd be in hotel rooms, at his homes, mm. at, like all over the place. He would just. And I think it was him practicing, and you know, yeah. he was probably looking at the. You could see sometimes he's looking at the uh, mm. probably the flipped over um, monitor and like watching his form and watching those things. But I think sometimes he's just jamming and he's just talking and he's singing and he's doing all these things. And to me, that was just, it was amazing because he wasn't doing it in front of 70,000 people. He wasn't doing it in front of, you know, executives. He was doing it for himself. He was learning and playing and loving. And that's what I learned of him early on is that he's just always playing. Mm. Yeah, no, it's it's it. I mean, it is it's it's remarkable. I mean, he's it's literally he's just hanging out in his house in various states of undress and just kind yeah. of <laughs> you know and just puts it on. You can tell it's at different ages. It's not all in one time period or whatever. You know, it's uh, yeah. Um, no, it's a uh, that is a uh, that's amazing. I mean, you were as you said, you also you said you came and you was just you, a sound guy and producer rocked up um yeah so you're self-shooting is that is that right yeah and yeah so um so uh so you cinematographer as well so if you don't pull it off you only have yourself to blame is that uh... (laughs) exactly exactly uh that's you know people are always like uh aren't you so grateful that you know uh, uh, you're done with the film like isn't it a big weight up i'm like well yeah, but it's like there's not like somebody can be like, it was good, but the cinematography was kind of bad. Or like, right, it was right. shot well, but the story, like there's always a section where it's like, well, that was me. Well, that, that was <laughs> that's <was> my fault. <laughs> that was, so, um, but but in the same respect, I think the, the, the trade-off for that is um, I think the intimacy that, that I'm able to gain in those moments. So it's, it's a fair trade-off for me because I, um, I love that pressure and that, that idea that I'm just in there with a the camera. It feels very much like, like my first film, you know, I try to mm-hmm. gather a lot of those same emotions of, of when I made my first film and it was all me doing sound, producing, shooting, like doing all of the, the things. And it feels, mm-hmm. that feels like my sweet spot, you know, mm-hmm. being in there uh, alone sometimes. 
And and something you just you said just a few mi- minutes ago, saying uh, you know, kind of like letting this thing happen, and uh, you know, producers maybe putting a pin in that. Um, I mean, luckily, luckily the you know they'd been decided. They're making a doc about Carlos. You're brought in, but you must uh, you must. So you got to avoid that sort of. Uh, difficult conversation that I think a lot of filmmakers must do have when they're trying to pitch their their projects to to whoever. Um, so what is this going to look like? What is the story? You know, and isn't that what I hear? I mean, I'm I'm not one myself, but the filmmakers I talk to, that's just uh, um, you know, true documentary filmmaking. You often don't know. Right, in. right, and, and I think to be fair, especially to my producers, you know, this was certainly a vision that I that I proposed early on. And I think the reason why I'm able to, to, to propose those visions is because ultimately they understand that above anything as a filmmaker, as a director, I'm a collaborator. And I realize that, that there are a lot of people who, who are a part of this and, and who are, are, are championing this film and, and all the other films. And so they know that if we were to get a little ways in and it wasn't working, I would say, okay, let's, let's right. figure out what can make it work. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go to the end, you know, fighting, kicking and screaming be like, no, this is my vision. And the only way that it happens. But, right. but I think that that affords me a certain freedom, especially at the beginning where they're like, okay, try it out because they know that I, I will work with them if they're like, this isn't working. And we'll, mm-hmm. I'll say, okay, well, let's figure out what, what can work and how we can do this. But I always appreciate the beginning, especially working with, with really wonderful producers and creatives who are like, okay, go out and, and, and see what mm. that, see if that works, as opposed to being like, it's not going to work and right. we're not even going to try it, you know? Right, right. And we need three episodes or we need, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> Ten episodes. Ten yeah. episodes. Well, it, thank God those days are gone. But uh, um, the, um, and, and the thing you said earlier, you know, you've quickly realized you're not bringing people on to talk about who Carlos was and they'll, they'll come out in the story anyway. But, there are you do have some people people who are very close to Carlos. You you bring his family in. Um, there's a yeah. few scenes, and that's they're the only other ones that come in. Really, they are, and and that was super organic too. We we went over to uh, where Carlos was that day, and I was filming, and we were in Vegas, and you know his sisters were there, you know because yeah. they they were clo- they live close, and obviously his wife was there, and they're just chatting and you know i was like i'm gonna film i'm gonna right, i'm, gonna, I'm right. gonna start filming and so it felt like a really great moment and to be honest when we shot it i was like i don't know how we'll use this because of the the structure of the film but we we figured out a way to uh to kick off who he was you know by hearing and i like a little bit of that perspective especially of the times of carlos of like his build and his mm. sisters being able to say you know we didn't know where carlos was and and their ability to reflect on his his constant search for spirituality. Like they gave a little bit of perspective that, that I think wasn't there that, that he couldn't give himself because I think we needed a little bit of outside perspective, but still within the family of what was happening in his musical journey, in his spiritual journey and all of those things. So we figured out a way for those to, to fit in. And ultimately it does get back to mom and dad, it seems, uh, which is, I mean, I, I don't know if this is, I came across something of, I guess it's like something Sony Pictures put out, but basically, uh, supposedly it's a quote from Carlos, but basically saying he wanted to share his mother's and father's frequencies, as he put it, and principles of how they raised and influenced my professional and personal life. Um, 
represents to me a collective consciousness that there are no borders or flags that can contain one's passion. And that's, uh, yeah. maybe that's back to cosmic, uh, Carlos, a bit, but, uh, yeah, but no, it's it, very, it it's very well grounded in family, which is what oft also comes across. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that was one of the things that I really wanted to, you know, in, in the cut and in the, in the making of the film, one of the things that I think is both beautiful, but also very difficult to do throughout the, the film is there's this sort of three things that are constant in his life, obviously music. Right. You know, music plays such a big part of his life. And, and if you research him, that's what comes up. And then if you continue to research him, the next thing that comes up is spirituality. Right. You know, so you have music and you have spirituality and those are the big things. But I think just as important to Carlos and just as big an influence and big a part of his journey as music and spirituality is family, mm. you know, and, and his relationship with his mother and his father and then eventually his his children. And what we always tried to do throughout this process is show the music, show it in relation to spirituality, show mm -hmm. spirituality in the relation to family. And before we got too far down the rabbit hole, come back to music, come back to spirituality, right. come back to family, and then eventually realize that all of those things were part of this collective consciousness for Carlos. And they were always equally driving his journey in his life even if you felt like it was just spirituality or even if you felt like it was just music, right. they were all equally a part of, of driving who he is. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a great story. And I think you've uh, captured it extremely well and have told it very well. And uh, I do highly recommend it, when people do get a chance to see it, that they do, because I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was a, just, a, you know, it's, um, it, it, it felt, you know, uh, please, I, I'm really good with backhanded compliments, but I think, uh, <laughs> but it came across as being innovative and and cutting edge without being that way. You know, in your face. You know, it was just kind of you didn't. It wasn't until you'd actually watched, like you said, I think earlier. It wasn't until you watched the whole thing you realized, wow, that's what I've just seen. You know, that's just kind yeah. of, you know. So, um, so, and I, and I like to say, like, I'd like to be like, oh, that's exactly what I was going for. Right. Like it's not, you know, yeah. we, you know, but yeah. we, you know, I think that the, the end result of something, if you stay close to the reason why you're making it throughout, hmm. you know, you're surprised sometimes at the end result. But, it, but, but I think if I were going in and saying, I'm going to be so innovative that people are going to be innovated right. the crap out of when they watch. Right. But right. no, it was just like listening to what it was and what it needed to be. And I think sometimes that is innovative, you know, just yeah. listening and, and letting a story tell you, you know, what it needs to be. And if even if you're not at, into any of those things, you get 90 minutes of some amazing music. So, you know, at yes. the very least. So you're going to, you're not going to, you know, you at least get that out of, out of it. Yeah. Um, uh, I think we're coming to the end of our time together, but what's next for you? Uh, so I'm doing... Before, you know, the writer strike and before the right. SAG strike and everything, uh, I had a couple of scripted projects that uh, mm. I'd written that, that I'm working on. Um, so that, that's been a little bit on pause. I have a new music documentary that I'm okay. diving into right now that I can't say what it is <laughs> yet, but uh, I'm very excited about it. And, you know, I think for me, uh, my career, I, I've tried very hard to be um, – very diverse in, in the types of stories and, mm -hmm. and the reason why I tell stories. And so just continuing to do that, you know, I have, I have about two or three other projects that couldn't be farther from, wow. 
from from you know the the origins and the the reasoning and the themes and, and all those things and that's on purpose you know that's that's because i i feared so much especially early in my career of being pigeonholed and and so i want to be able to tell all these vast vastly different stories so i have a few different things <laughs> coming out in the next couple of years well, we look forward to seeing them, and if we haven't scared you off, we'd love to have you on again. So, um, I, I really appreciate you having me on. I love your podcast. I think it's it's really when when I got the first email about being on it, I was like, me? I was like, what? What do they want to talk to me about? But have, have you been? Have uh, you have you come across this before? Oh yeah, I've listened to a few. I actually just recently listened to the Brett Morgan one. Uh, the Moon Is Daydream episode oh, very yeah. recently. Yeah. So th- I was hoping you'd talk to me about. Uh, um, the golden Almost. age of documentary. Oh, right. Because I have my own very different uh, opinions about it than he does. But uh, do you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. What are your What um, are your different opinions? Well, I just I you know, I think I, the way I look at the golden age of documentary is it it, it isn't this uh, period where all of a sudden a bunch of stuff was happening and and people were. I, I think that the start of the golden age of documentary is equity is Mm. you know it it was that moment you know i was very fortunate to just be starting when when this golden age started and that golden age to me is the reason why i could make my first film right i was able to afford and have a camera in my hand that could deliver something and that changed everything every all of a sudden everyone i knew who were pas and editors and and interns and things we all of a sudden had something in our hands mm. with this little 5d with a 51 most of my first film was shot on a 5d 1.2 uh lens because that's all i had right but it allowed me to create images that people could look at and not orig- not immediately go what did you shoot that on? they're like they're engaged yeah. in it so then i could say i have this ability now i can tell great stories because people aren't immediately turned off by the fact that i'm shooting on this three chip camera or right, that i simply right. can't shoot because i don't have anything in my hands and and i think that what that did was that changed the entire paradigm of of all of the people who had access to things in the past realized here are new filmmakers with innovative ideas and new approaches to story we need to up our game as well which which caused everyone to say let's all figure out how mm-hmm. to diversify change and 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 make documentary elevated even more which is where it all came from and then all of a sudden i think we're out of the age of the golden age of documentary because then all of a sudden you started to see things like well is that a netflix approved camera or is that a this camera or is that a camera and then all of a sudden it's like the thing you're holding in your hand that you were telling stories of for three years is not acceptable anymore you have to have this other thing you have to have this other thing and so we're going back into a haves and have nots in documentary now where you know if you were lucky enough to create a name for yourself during that process you've upped your ante a little bit and i have cameras now that i can shoot anything with but now kids who are coming on are like well i have to have this 4k camera with this thing and this thing and i have to do this they can't they can no longer just shoot it on their iphone they can no longer just do these things because that that has now gone by gone away because now streamers and networks are like well it needs to be this or it has to have this and it has to have this and so immediately that cuts the legs but i think that there there are other versions you know even tiktok and even you like there are other ways that people are getting stories out that are right. still controlled right. in their hands but they're not they're not the way it was like in t- 2009 and 10 and 11 where we were out mm-hmm. shooting feature films with a with a 
uh, elitist adapter on the front and creating this shallow depth right. of field and all this stuff. And, and it was becoming acceptable an acceptable format for people to make films with. And amazing. I mean, what I've, you know, what I've picked up on is that just this incredible, you know, all these stories that we'd never perspectives that we'd never heard of you know, yes. from before, yeah. you know, um, I would, cause obviously there'd been people of color and, 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 and women directors, everything before. So that was, you know, it wasn't, but, but it was just this breadth of voices yeah. that were, you know, coming to the fore. Um, I don't even remember what, I mean, you talked about blacking out and if, uh, but I don't even remember what Brett exactly said, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, I but just, uh, I, you know, I, I know just we don't like, need to put words in his mouth. We'll let, yeah, we'll yeah, yeah, tell, yeah. tell people to go to that. Uh, but I Yeah, do. yeah, you should listen. To, I just think, like you're saying, it's all different perspectives. It's different perspectives. And I think mm-hmm. you you hit the nail on the head of, of yes, there were certainly directors of color and, and, and women directors at that mm-hmm. time. But like I think about my first film, and I started shooting this thing kind of in secret. And I remember sharing it with somebody who I really, really respected, a really well-known filmmaker. I was able enough to sort of get in the room mm-hmm. and, and immediately he was taken aback by what I was making. And he was like, I've already made that film. Who cares? And, right. and I remember thinking, what? Like that, but this is from my perspective. And, and I've prided myself from that moment of saying, you know, I took that who cares that he said to me and I said, who does care? Like, why would somebody care about this and care about my POV? And that became my sort of rallying right. call to be able to tell stories from where I'm from, from mm-hmm. what I look like, from my personal experience and making it relatable to broader audiences. Because, I, you know, I'm all for everybody telling everyone's stories because I think different viewpoints are, mm. are important. And along with that, I have to understand that my viewpoint is also important. And I think right. that that's part of right. the golden age of documentaries. People were all of a sudden realizing, oh, my POV is very important in the landscape of what we're trying to do in documentary. Mm-hmm. And I feel that being smushed a little bit now and then being taken away. Right. But, right. Um, but, I, but I think that's the true golden age of documentary when POVs were sort of coming at you yeah. and they were valid and they were stories that were born and bred from somebody who wasn't, shooting from a voyeuristic lens but an intimate lens Mm, mm. and i think that's the big difference and that's what we're sort of getting away from it feels like a lot of times now and and i think sort of related i we had we were very fortunate to have sam pollard on this podcast a few years ago. love sam pollard yeah and it was actually (laughs) we filmed on the day of uh, january 6th uh but uh (laughs) So, and it, it was, was just... He, was he preoccupied the whole time? No, no, it, we didn't know it was going to happen. It was very prescient. Oh we have this, I, I need, that's the one thing I have listened to again. I never listen to these things after the recording because I'm, I'm like you, I'm afraid of being uh, what I might have said or didn't say or yeah. all my <laughs> yeah. hemmings, you know, and hawings and stuff like that. But uh, he's like, we were talking about what 2020 had been like. And uh, it's, you know, I said, was it, is this, this feel like, cause he's an old, you know, he's older. He's, I said, does this feel like 1968 to you? He goes, yes, it feels exactly like what 1968 felt like. And then we we're talking about everything that was going on with Trump. And then he's like, you know, he's not going to go away quietly. I was like, yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure you're right about that. And then, you know, I get home 
<laughs> my kids have the TV on and they're like, Daddy, have you seen what's happening? <laughs> it's like, but, uh, but he said, I asked it because I used to, I stopped asking. Well, I guess I did ask Brett, obviously, but I haven't really been asking that golden age of documentary question very much. But his point was that, yes, there are a lot more projects, you know, from his st- standpoint, a lot more projects out there, but they're all coming to him. You know, and, and people like yeah. him of his experience, you know, he's yeah. got four or five offers, you know, but what about all those new people coming up who yeah. should have this opportunity, you know? Yeah. And I think that was his point that. That yes. was one of the things I love about Sam too, is yeah. I'm, you know, I wish that um, other young filmmakers or people, you know, working their way through this process would have the opportunity like I had to work with Sam you know, early in my career as a camera operator in like oh, wow. different ways um, because he just gave you that impression. Even, you know, I was shooting something for him on one of his projects. And even though he was the director, executive producer, all these things, he had a way of letting you know, you belong here. Mm. You know, you, you, you can be doing this too. And then he came on to, he executive produced Carlos. He executive produced, yeah. um, he came on yeah. as a producer for my saints project. And I think, you know, while he would give me notes and give me these things, he also always was great about letting me know that I'm on the right track, that 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 what I have coming out of me is is on the right track. And that was so not only inspiring, but motivating. And, you know, I've had, uh, I've been un- like, I've worked under Sam Pollard, Gita Ganbahir, Joe Brewster, Michelle, um, you know, Joan, Joan Michelle, and, and, and I think Michelle mm-hmm. Stevenson. And, you know, they've been such a wonderful film school for me, not only because I was there as a cinematographer mm. or sometimes as a PA or whatever, but when we were on site on, mm. on sets or on shoots, there was never this, you just do that. It was always a, you're in here with us in the fight. And, and it made me feel present. It made me feel wanted and accepted in this documentary world. I wish everybody could go and PA for them or shoot for them mm. or do that mm. because just having, and I try to do that for people who come on to my, to my cruise mm. as well. I'm never like, well, you're just that, or you're just that. I'm like, we're all this. And we're telling a collective story mm. because your POV matters. And I think that, you know, we need a lot more people like Joe and Michelle, like Gita, like Sam Pollard, right. You know, doing that and, and letting people know that in the end, even though, you know, there's awards and there's all these other things, it's right. not a competition. It's a collective consciousness. And it's mm. a, it's a, uh, the ability to say, I, as Sam is saying, I shouldn't be telling every story. Right. You know, that's, that's yeah. the wrong answer to all of this. We should all be telling stories. Yeah. Well, we kept rolling. I mean, we've, we've kept talking. Oh. <laughs> so, so if you don't mind. As long as, as long as I don't sound like I'm disparaging Brett Morgan, because I'm not, I just don't want to, like, I don't want to. No, I don't think. I, no, I think. And to, just to be said, I mean, it, that that's the one we get the most uh, most feedback from in terms of. Uh, I mean, I thought you were going to say. I mean, I don't think you're. You know, you're. Not many people would almost kill themselves in making a film, and which which is yeah. what he almost did in making the yeah. uh, the uh, yeah. the Bowie uh doc but uh, <laughs> yeah. you know but uh no i don't think we're disparaging anything i think it's as you say pov it's a different per, you know you know the different perspectives on on things yeah. so yeah. um um 
No, I think it's this funny thing because this whole golden age. What is a golden age? You know, who defines it's a golden age? But I mean, you've, right. you have defined it in terms of what it has been. But uh, I mean, I'll just say too, we are... Um, Maybe I shouldn't even share this on the <laughs> from my standpoint, but we are finding it harder and harder to get. Um, you know, it seems like the the pipeline of docs is slowed a little bit. What is what we're yeah. kind of noticing? You know, what's crazy is I think part of this has been be careful what you wish for because it's as a documentary filmmaker. You know, I remember when, when, you know, I was a teacher, I was a, a writer, an actor, all those things. Mm -hmm. And I decided to um, quit everything and go into documentary film because I had a story that I had to tell and I wanted to figure that out. And I remember I was met with nothing but, like, especially my family and friends were like, go do what you're, you're going yeah. to do. It's been my, the story of my life of like, when they see I'm going to do something, I'm going to go out and I'm going to give everything I can. And then I had a friend who is more on the like Hollywood side of things right. um, and had seen a lot. And he was like, so you're going to go from the steady paycheck, this other thing to an industry that's very hard to make a living at. And then within that industry, you're going into a subcategory of that industry <laughs> where you almost cannot make any money, which is documentary film. And, and, you know, I think the, the hope was always like, there will be a way to carve out a career and do this mm -hmm. thing. And, and I did that by being an editor, by being a producer, by being a sound mixer, by right. being a camera operator, doing everything I could to pay the bills and stay afloat. And then you always wish, like, I want to continue to make money and make a living. And then all of a sudden, this golden age happens. All of these projects are being made. Then the streaming wars happen. And all of a sudden, there's, there's all of this. There's Netflix, there's Hulu, there's Disney+, right, Plus, there's right. ESPN+, Plus, there's CNN+, Plus, there's all these things. And they see this ability to heighten and, and ex further explore documentary. Mm -hmm. And I think in, as grateful as I am, and I'm certainly a part of it, I've made series, I've made all these right, things, yeah. um, it changes the way we make things at times. You know, as we were saying earlier, there's the 10-part yeah. series, there's the six-part series, there's the, yeah. you know, and oftentimes those things are, discussed before you even know what the story is <laughs> you know right, and it's like right, right. you know and it's like you know i've i've been asked to do i did, was asked to do a project one time and they were like we think it's an eight-part series and i go oh okay well okay and they're like what did you see it as and i was like i don't know a short and they were like <laughs> what are you and, and that was just me sort of being a little cheeky with them but saying right, like, let's right. figure out what the story is before exactly. we say it's eight parts, you know, and, yeah. and, but I think that that's also changed, you know, it's, it's occupying a lot of documentary filmmakers times and working on these series. So there are less features being made. There are less, you know, mm. things being made. I mean, again, I, I'm always trying to go back even with Carlos of that feeling of making my first film where I'm just in there with the camera by myself. Yeah. It's hard to do that when you have a budget and you have producers and you have a right. production company and a network, you know, saying, what are you making? What are you making? What are you making? You know, I made my first film over the course of 10 years, you know, nobody right. would ever let me do that. Right. You know, in any, if I was like, I have this idea, it's going to take me a decade to make, just give me yeah. some money. They'd yeah. like, get out of Rudy's finally lost it. Get out of here. Right. So it, I, I, I long sometimes for those moments and I'm always working on passion projects because I want to yeah. just go and make stuff. But, um, it's very difficult, uh, you know, very grateful and very difficult in, in wanting to be all of those things and tell honest stories and 
also having to, you know, my kids want to eat almost every day. So I have to keep <laughs> making money as well. So um, it's, it's like finding that happy medium uh, right. of all of those things. Well, I wish you luck. And uh, just to say again, it's been it's been a pleasure talking with you, Rudy. Uh, and, likewise, uh, likewise. Lo- love to have you on again. And uh, we will sign off this time. Uh, we're yeah. going to say <laughs> we've been talking with Rudy Valdez, the Emmy Award-winning producer and director of Carlos, uh, premiered at Tribeca. And it definitely will be streaming somewhere soon. So uh, do look for it, and I highly recommend it. Thanks again for joining us on Factual America. A big shout out to everyone at Intersound Audio in York, England for their great studio and fine editing and production skills. A big thanks to Amy Ord, our podcast manager, who ensures we continue getting great guests onto the show and that everything otherwise runs smoothly. Finally, a big thanks to you, our listeners. Please keep sending us feedback and episode ideas, whether it is on YouTube, social media, or directly by email. And please also remember to like us and share us with your friends and family, wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts. This is Factual America, signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Alamo Pictures, which specializes in documentaries, television, and shorts about the U.S. for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and X. Be the first to hear about new productions, festivals showing our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is factualamerica.com.